0: This summer, and during some of my travels, I was at a fast food restaurant. I, I know you find that hard to believe. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> while I was there, uh, waiting for my food, I, I, I saw a, a what appeared to be a mother and her teenage daughter come in, and the teenage daughter went up to the counter, and she was picking up her paycheck big old smile on her face, real excited, you know, and, and I looked over at the mom, and the mom was really excited, too, <laughs> and I thought, this is probably her first paycheck, so I, I said something, I said, I said so is this her first paycheck? Yeah, this is her first paycheck, and I could see in mom's eyes the hope that someday, someday this girl would support herself fully, <laughs> and uh, she talked about how she got all of her kids going in their jobs. And I bet when they went outside and that girl looked at her paycheck, they had that discussion that every parent has with their child when they get their first paycheck like we did with one of ours. What in the world's going on here? What's all that stuff? All that stuff they're holding out. You know, the, the money starts this big and then it ends up this big. How did that happen? Remember one of our girls who was very passionate, you know, and we were explaining, well, this is what you have to do, you know, and so on, and she just felt like somebody was taking her money from her, as some of you do once in a while. <laughs> Jesus is going to talk to us about what we work for and how we how we come out on that work in John chapter 6 as we continue to study through this great gospel this good news about Jesus. He talks about what we work for in John 6, starting in verse 22. Last week we considered the previous passage which had to do with the feeding of the 5,000. So if you can kind of keep that miracle and that event in your mind that he he fed these 5,000 plus people. And verse 22 says, On the following day, When the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When those people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, "'Nor his disciples, they also got into boats "'and came across the lake to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. "'And when they found him on the other side of the sea, "'they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here?' "'Jesus answered them and said, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, "'you seek me not because you saw the signs, "'but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. "'Do not labor for the food which perishes.' but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This is an interesting passage. It's it's complicated just a little bit by the use of metaphors. A metaphor is when you use something common to explain or to illustrate something that's not quite so common. So he uses the idea of labor and the idea of food as metaphors about parts of the spiritual life. And as we consider this passage, we're just going to ask some questions. Why, First of all, why were these people following Jesus? The first, uh, the first three verses that we read, no matter what translation you read them in, they're a little bit complicated. Here's what it means. The, the sea of, if you could picture the Sea of Galilee in your mind as kind of a big oval, and Jesus was over here. And all the people were over there, had this big feeding of the 5,000. The next day, the people woke up and said, where's Jesus? Jesus isn't here. Disciples aren't here. And in the meantime, some boats had come across the lake. You remember at night, Jesus and the disciples went that way across the lake to a place called Capernaum. So the people wake up, Jesus is gone, the disciples are gone, and they say, wow, how'd that happen? So they all got in boats and went across the lake. And they said, Jesus when did you come here? They were looking for him. They were following Jesus. But what we find out, when Jesus talks to them, they say, when did you come here? Now, interestingly, they didn't say, how did you get here? But they said, when did you come here? And what does Jesus answer them in verse 26? He says, you have a wrong heart. To paraphrase it, he says, You're seeking me for the wrong reason. Why were they following him? These folks believed Jesus was going to be their meal ticket. They still believed it all the way down to verse 34. Lord, give us this bread always. Now bread for them was a major part of their of their diet. You know, they would have fish with their bread, they would have, you know, vegetables, whatever they could find with their bread, but the bread was a main part of their diet. And so they had just they had just been, you know, here we are gathered together and Jesus feeds them fish and bread and they're going, nice. Free church dinner. And so the next day they're going, hey Jesus, you left without us. What's up? We're we're your followers. And he says, You're following me because I filled I filled your stomach. They thought they had won the lottery. They had found the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the winning lottery ticket. And Jesus said, "You have a fundamental flaw in your thinking." How did he respond to them? He says, "You're wrong. You're thinking wrong." Look what he says. He says, "You are seeking me verse 26 because you not because you saw the signs." Here's the reason Jesus did the miracle of feeding the 5,000. He did not feed them because they were hungry. And by the way, Jesus didn't heal people because they were sick. Now God is compassionate on us and he does heal us. Lord willing, he's going to heal me from whatever it this that's been hanging on for two weeks and I'm looking forward to that day. But God did not heal people or feed people so they would feel good and be comfortable. He did it because of that word right there, sign. And it's not a bad word in English. Um, You know, if we had a big signpost right here and it said, this is the Messiah. That's what those miracles were supposed to be. He did a miracle. People were supposed to look at that and say, you know what? Only the Son of God could do that. Only the Savior who's supposed to come into the world. And so they would have believed on him because of the power that he demonstrated. But that's not why. He says, you don't even believe in the signs that I have done. The only reason you're following following me is because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus elaborates and he says, you have a fundamental flaw. This This is how he talked about it in Luke. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. It is an entirely common way of thinking For human beings to say the goal of my life is to be physically comfortable. It's entirely normal. We we live in our bodies. We know that we are more than our body. We have a soul and when we die the body goes to the ground, the soul goes to heaven or hell. But as we live in this life we naturally think that our physical existence is what life is about. That is until we come to Christ and that's Part of the point that he's making with these folks, these folks thought, hey, you're the man. You're going to provide bread for us. Life's easy. And that was their mentality. It comes through us today in a little different way. It comes out this way. You need to get a good education so you can get a good job so your life will be comfortable. We need to have a labor contract that guarantees work so my life will be comfortable. I need to have guaranteed retirement benefits so my life will be comfortable when I retire. I need to have full coverage health care so I can go to the doctor whenever I want so my life will be comfortable. We have government welfare, the lottery, gambling, the TV show. Who wants to marry a poor man? No. Who wants to marry a millionaire? There's a website where you can go and find the dating profile of a man who makes large amounts of money, rich guys. You can find a rich guy to marry. Why is that? It's because we naturally think in our human existence the point of life is to be physically comfortable and to enjoy life in our physical existence. The epitome of this mentality is Is here in Luke chapter 2, then Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul! You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. They didn't have banks to have fat bank accounts. They had barns to have lots of goods stored up. This guy made it. And that's the way we tend to think in our normal human existence. The real danger that Jesus is warning these folk about is the orientation of their life. He summarized it in the Sermon on the Mount this way, therefore don't worry, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for after all these things, the Gentiles, translate that, folks who have not yet believed in Christ, after all these things, they focus their life. In John 6, he puts it this way, don't labor, for that kind of food. Don't make the normal physical things of this life your goal in life. These people were looking for a guy who would give them food forever without working. And they thought they'd found him. Wow, great. Why does Jesus tell us not to labor for that stuff? Look what he says here. Verse 27 Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. The reason Jesus tells us not to labor for the stuff of this life is because the stuff of this life can only help your body and not your soul. A few years ago, somebody uh, developed sort of a way to witness to people, to talk to them about the Lord. And uh, it went something like this. Hey, Don, I heard you're going to graduate pretty soon. What do you think you're going to do after you graduate? I'm going to get a good job. You're going to get a good job. Um, And then what do you think you're going to do? I'm going to get married. You're going to get married? Nice, nice. Maybe maybe there's somebody here who can help you with that. I don't know. (laughs) So then, after you get married, what are you going to do? I'm going to have a family. Going to have a family, going to have some kids. Great. And uh, after that, what are you going to do? I'm going to retire. Going to retire, yeah. Probably that good job will have a nice retirement benefit. And you're going to retire. Great. What are you going to do after you retire? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to die. And then what are you going to do? There you go. That is the problem in focusing your life on the stuff of this life. It's great as long as this life lasts. I mean, it can be great. It isn't always. But Jesus said, there is food which will nourish this life, and then there is food which can give you everlasting life. The extreme foolishness of this is is brought to us back in the same story we read about just a minute ago. That rich man said, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you are a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then who will those things be which you have provided? The foolishness of focusing life on the stuff of this life is we don't know how long this life will be. And for certain, we absolutely know that the death rate is constant. It's one. Every single person who lives dies. And if you have oriented your life toward the stuff of this life to the exclusion of getting the food which gives you everlasting life, then you will end up like the fool who was rich on this earth but poor and went to hell instead of to heaven. How does Christ nourish our soul he uses this idea of food obviously he's trying to say that there's something that can can nourish our soul it can give us strength It can give us eternal life look look what he says here in verse 32 then jesus said to them most assuredly i say to you moses did not give you the bread from heaven these people were uh you know they seemed to be folks who knew their old testament and they knew that there was a time in the people of israel's existence when god rained manna down on the people of uh, on his people for 40 years that's the way he fed them some type of a some type of we would presume a carbohydrate or maybe a bread type product that god rained down on them every day every day every day And there was even a common belief at that time that when the Messiah came, he would again bring that manna and provide for them. But that was not something written in the Bible. That was just sort of a a common myth that was passed around. And they, they said in verse 31, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. And Jesus said in verse 32, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you. Moses was not the one who gave you the bread. Of course, it was God himself who gave you the bread. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Something from heaven that will nourish your soul. For the bread of God is a person. It is he who comes down from heaven and he gives life to the world. There's a comparison being brought. Physical bread... Creates physical life. It nourishes the physical body. He's saying there is a spiritual food in the person of Christ who came down to give life to the world, to give nourishment to the soul of the world. Verse 34 Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes shall never thirst. Jesus said, what you need is a kind of food which will bring you spiritual life. In Ephesians 2, we read about that food. And you he made alive. Remember right here, he just said, you need life. You need to be alive. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we also all once walked ourselves, conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, by a free gift, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look back with me at verse 27, he says, Don't labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? They misunderstood what he was saying. He, he was trying to tell them in verse 27, God is going to give this to you. And they said, what are the religious activities we need to do so we can get this eternal bread, this this bread that will give us eternal life? And he said, here's the work, verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. God has given us, The bread of life. It is the person of Christ. And he's told these people, you should be laboring, you should be working for that bread. How do we buy that food? How do we labor for that food which gives eternal life? He says you need to believe in the Son of God. True belief accepts the facts about the person of Christ and about me. True belief says, yes, I am a sinner. God tells me I'm a sinner. I look at my life day by day. I realize I'm a sinner. True belief looks at the fact of the person of Christ. Jesus Christ was the son of God who took on human flesh and died for my sin. He shed his blood for my sin. True belief accepts that fact. True belief accepts what God said in verse 29 right here. You, the work that you need to do is to believe. The only thing I can do to get that eternal food of Jesus Christ is to put my faith in Him. I don't have to be baptized. I don't have to take communion. I don't have to put money in the offering. I don't have to to crawl on my knees and express my great grief over my sin. I need to admit I am a sinner and accept the Savior. True belief requires a turning from all other beliefs. If you truly believe... In the truth of God's salvation, then you must also truly reject any other belief system. And the third thing that we understand is this true belief is a decision made at a point in time, not something you are born with or baptized into. How do we buy the food which gives eternal life? We do it through true faith in Christ, who is that food. His work on the cross to pay for our sins is that eternal food. Now, most of you sitting here have already partaken of that bread. You have given the labor of belief. And so the question that I would ask next is this, how do we keep feeding on the bread of life as Christians? How do we keep feeding on it? In 1 Corinthians 3, we read these verses that we we commonly think of about our reward in heaven, and they certainly are about that reward for us as Christians. But it has something to say for how we live our life today. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. In this passage, God is talking to us about how we live our Christian life in such a way that we will receive God's divine recognition in heaven. And he says the foundation of the Christian life is Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be a Christian other than to put your faith in Christ and to become born again through the work that God does in you. That is the foundation. Now, how do we build on that foundation? We are commanded as Christians to build on it, 2 Peter tells us to be diligent to add to our faith. Other, many other places tells us we need to build our Christian life. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean we're trying to earn our salvation, but it means that we are working to become more like Christ day by day by day. And the question we need to ask is, are we trying to live out our Christian life by continuing to feed on the person of Christ, or are we trying to use other things to work out our life? Are we using our own ideas? Are we using the ideas of Dr. Phil, or Oprah, or the neighbor next door, or whoever it might be? What are we using as the basis of our actions to build our Christian life? If we continue to feed our soul on the bread of life, we can continue to grow in him. In Matthew 6 he puts it this way, therefore don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As we think about this as a Christian, we have a similar responsibility to the person who has not yet come to faith in Christ. The responsibility is to say, what am I working for? The Gentiles, that is the unsaved people, focus their life on the stuff of this life. And so, Christian, we need to ask ourselves the same question. Yes, I came to Christ in faith on Him and on His work, but now how am I living my daily life? Am, have I reverted back to focusing on the stuff of life? How I can get a bigger house and, and a better car and, and uh, you know afford to have a better retirement? Is, is that the focus of my life? Because if it is... I'm living like a Gentile or like an unbeliever. I'm not feeding on the the, the food of Christ, which will build the eternal life in me. I'm feeding on the stuff of this world. And one of the results of feeding on the stuff of this world and laboring for the stuff of this world is is that word with a W in it right up there. Worry. Worry. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. If you are laboring for the stuff of this life, then you are probably working, trying to balance everything and control everything and manipulate everything to get a certain outcome because you are the one making your life happen. You are laboring for the stuff of this life. He says, don't do that. He says, what you should be doing is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look at that great blessing in verse 32. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. My heavenly Father needs, knows that I need to, to eat sometime in the next few hours. And so he's, he's provided so that I can do that. He's not, he's not calling us to poverty and to hunger. He doesn't say it's It's really spiritual. It's really spiritual. Now, if you just be poor and give away everything you have and just beg and grovel and scrape. No, no, he doesn't say that. He says he knows what you need. And the, the cool thing about this promise is if you will focus your life, if you will labor For the stuff of eternal life, if you will give yourself to pursuing the godly life, that obligates God to come along and take care of your physical life. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have him worrying about that than me, because I really believe he can do a better job. F.F. Bruce, in in commenting on this passage, said this, this total self-commitment to Christ, this appropriating Him by faith, is the secret of eternal life and perpetual soul refreshment. Is your soul refreshed? When you get up in the morning, are you thinking, hot dog, I got another day. Or are you thinking, oh Lord, I don't know where the hot dogs are coming from. God says, Christian, focus your life on on, on what he has called you to do. Now in, in, that great, in that great mentality of aiming at God's priorities in life, part of it is providing for your family and part of it is providing for your own needs. And God expects you to work and God will help you to work and but the question is, what are you laboring for? What is the work of your life about? Is it about God and His work, or is it about you and your life? That is foo-foo. Not making that up. If you've been here a couple of years, you know that that's something we met in Africa when Sue and I went there to visit our missionaries in New and And actually... Um, I'm not sure if it's his wife. Uh, one of the pastors from Africa will be here um, the Sunday before Thanksgiving with Tim Newfelt. Um, one of Tim's supporting churches has asked him to bring one of the pastors back to share about what God's doing, and, and so I think um, could be the wife of the uh, the, the husband of the, f- the wife that made this here. But this is fufu. It's made from uh, it's made from uh, sweet potato. I think they call them sweet potatoes or gams. They call them yams. It's different than what we call yams. It's a big old thing. Some of them are that big. And they're white inside like a potato and brown outside like a potato, but it's got a different texture. And they boil it like you would cut up potatoes, and then they, they make mashed potatoes out of it. I mean, that's what they do. And uh, that's how they mash it up. And when they get done, it is pasty, white, flavorless. And they, they, they were really impressed that we ate a good lump of it on our plate. So uh, we did a good missionary thing. It, it, you know, it's just kind of like when you're a little kid and you eat paste. You know, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> <sighs> they, put, they put, they call it sauce on it. We would call it gravy. Maybe some kind of a fish sauce or some other thing. But the reason they eat that with a little dab of gravy is because they don't have much money. And these things grow pretty easy over there. And so they, they have this. We we went to a restaurant the first night that we were in Ghana, and we thought we were, we said we wanted to eat African food. The missionary at the at the house we were staying, they said, "Well, you go to this place." So we went with these other two missionaries, and sure enough, there's fufu right on the menu. We said we want some fufu, you know, and they said they said no no you can't have it. It's nighttime. You have to eat it at lunchtime. It's too heavy to eat at night. So now I would now I would go back and say thank you. Now that I know what I know. This stuff has a lot of calories. Okay? It's got a lot of calories, but almost no nutrition. And so the missionary wives, in particular, like Esther Neufeld, is constantly trying to teach the ladies over there how to use barley and some other common foods they have to make sure their family is getting some nutrition, not just some calories. You know the difference, don't you? This stuff is filling. It'll fill you up. But it's not going to nourish you. Friends, the stuff of this world will fill you up. It'll fill your day. It'll fill your mind. It'll fill your day timer. It'll make you think you have a life. But ultimately, it won't feed your soul or prepare you for heaven. Jesus is the nourishment that you need, feed on him. Heavenly Father, it's so easy to think that we need other stuff to feed our souls other than Jesus. Help us, Father. Help us to turn to the real nourishment day by day. Strengthen our souls. Father, if there's somebody here who's never Come to faith in Christ. They've never truly partaken of that heavenly bread. Help them to come to that faith today. I pray in Christ's name, amen.